Hey, and welcome to episode 39 of the Thoughtcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from Hollywood. Today, we're going to be talking about DreamWorks Animation's Abominable. And uh, today, I'm joined by two co-hosts. Uh, first off, coming to us from Georgia. Hey, Jody Pulaski, what's going on? Hey, everybody. I'm excited to be here. It's still really hot in Georgia, but I'm excited to cool down a little bit and talk about um, this cute little Yeti movie we saw recently. Cooling down with some Himalayan mountains. And uh, also joining us from, speaking of cool, Minnesota, Hannah Lee Smart. How's it going, Hannah? Yeah, I'm excited to be back, too. I'm from Minnesota, so it's always cold here. But it's exciting to talk about a brand new film. Yes. Well, let's just uh, dive right in. I, you know, this isn't necessarily the most comprehensive review. I don't think we're going to be doing here. There's a a little bit of a time constraint, but um, I I, I enjoyed it to a degree. The the, uh, DreamWorks animation is abominable. To me, it felt a little generic, but I don't know what you guys thought. Yeah, so my initial thoughts on this one, and I don't know all the behind the scenes details, like it might be more interesting if you tell me about like these directors and stuff, but Mm -hmm. thoughts on this, like when I saw the trailer was just like, meh, but that's how I always feel when I see DreamWorks trailers for how to train your dragon. I was like, I'm not going (laughs) to like it. And it was great. And I saw the trailer for this and I was like, meh, and it was good. Uh, Same for a lot of their other things. So Mm -hmm. the trailer like didn't have me like all wowed up, but I went to it, you know, with the expectation of making the podcast um, afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I agree with you. Nothing really blew me out of the water. It was a little bit more of this like adventure road trip, finding yourself after loss type movie. And it was, it was fine. It was beautiful, but like, it didn't, it didn't wow me. Yeah. Not to mention it's the third film in the span of a year having to do with Yetis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We recently did a podcast on a podcast on Missing Link. And I would say if I was going to compare them, I liked Missing Link a lot more than this one. But it was it was I'm not trying to bad talk this one too much because it was still a good enough movie. Yeah, I think the timing that it's the third one, like if this was the first Yeti movie, we might cut it a little more slack. But the fact that it's just part of this ever growing trend that hopefully is done real soon. Uh, Yeti movies, I think, kind of gives it a bad rap just because you're forced to compare it because there are so many movies like it. Um, I think originality is honestly uh, a wonder that has for many years in film not... It's kind of been lackluster, honestly, Mm -hmm. in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. We've seen this storyline so many times, like a kid finds a creature and learns about themselves because they have to bring the creature back to where it belongs because the creature's lost in like another world and yada, yada, yada. E.T. happened a long time ago and we're still on this track. But I think the best stories, if they're retold in a new way that really captures an audience, then we take things that are told over and over again and you're able to do it in a new way and I think this one just makes the mark a tad bit on telling it in a way that would be standing against time like nobody's going to remember this movie in a year hmm um yeah I thought it did a few interesting things but yeah it's it's the highest opening for an original animated film in 2019 really Uh, yeah there I mean it's mostly been sequels in terms of uh, 
large scale. Oh, don't worry. Animation. Frozen 2 will uh, <laughs> help um, them. Well, we had How to Train Your Dragon 3, Toy Story 4. Um, oh, I didn't even think about Toy Story 4. So what Pets was there? Two. What did they bring in their opening weekend then? This one here. Uh, yeah, this one did 20, about 21 million domestically at the opening weekend. It was a $75 million budget, a little lower for <laughs> DreamWorks animation. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's got a little ways to go. It was the number one movie over the weekend. Hmm. Yeah, but I don't feel like the like Hannah said, I don't feel like the big heavy hitters are coming out until the holidays. But I mean, that's good. It means people are out and people were seeing it. Um, I don't feel like there was a huge, I don't watch a ton of TV, but I did just see a couple trailers. I could probably count on one hand how many trailers I saw for it. So I don't know if there was a big like marketing push or anything really to, to get people out to this one the yeah. way they're doing with, you know, what they did with Toy Story and what they did with How to Train Your Dragon. Not a single animated film this year has overperformed at the box office. Oh, okay. Unless you count The Lion King as an animated movie. Mm. Um, I think it kind of like was on its own caliber. Like The Lion King is... <laughs> the Lion King and Abominable are very different uh, monsters. Yeah, I don't think it's formally classified as an animated film. And... Yeah, Abominable um, is a co-production between DreamWorks Animation and uh, it's sort of a satellite studio that they helped co-found in Shanghai, China called Pearl Studio, uh, who also collaborated with them on Kung Fu Panda 3. That was their previous film uh, with Pearl. And um, the <laughs> this film was in development since around 2010 by... Uh, Director Jill Colton, uh, co-directed also by uh, Todd Wilderman. Uh, Jill Colton has worked at a variety of animation studios, I think mostly DreamWorks, but she did direct um, Open Season for Sony back in 2006. So that was her one previous directing credit. And yeah, yes, Hannah she's really writer for this film. Yeah, this was her idea. I'm a little shocked to hear you say that it's been, you know, kind of in the works for almost 10 years. I mean, I guess eight, nine years. It doesn't really seem like the plot needed that. Like, it didn't seem like a movie that needed that much, like, time, but maybe that's common. Is that a common, like, time frame? Yeah. Like, eight years? Like, kind of from I the fruition with movies like this? Yeah, I, it's not uncommon for, for things to really sit in development in that developmental phase for a while um but the for a movie it did seem kind of light on on plot I, that's that's definitely one thing i came away from um i mean it had uh likable characters uh, cute creatures brilliant yeah. visuals um but it, you know, it kind of felt like a mid-tier animated film, uh, which it was kind of designed to be. And I, hopefully this will do well overseas. I think it's meant to kind of cater to the global market. Um, so uh, the, it should probably make up its, its budget just through worldwide box office alone. Right. And I mean, the theme, so like the main character is Yi, um, her, her essential journey throughout this movie is kind of 
like living out her father's dream in a way like he passes away spoiler alert but like it's she's going through this grieving process and you kind of like meet her and she's like trying to make this money to go see all these like places in China that her father dreamed of going to mm-hmm. um so like I said earlier it's sort of like she goes on this road trip with her yeti who she accidentally finds Everest um and they kind of just go like environment to environment to environment as they're <laughs> going away from these criminals or whatever not criminals um the villains but but I thought like I agree with you like it was it was good visuals I really liked the like color palette of this movie like I don't know really the right word to use for it, but you know, some movies are really, really vibrant and then some are a little more like grayscale or whatever. But this one, I liked the, like the blues and the purples and the, I don't know. I really liked the the, the overall vibes <laughs> of the movie itself. I thought it was a really pretty one to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I believe it's set in Shanghai, perhaps. They didn't mention the city by name i think it's definitely china somewhere yeah nondescript chinese metropolis they did mention beijing um again um the the three main characters yi peng and jin um are accompanied by this mysterious creature that they name everest um because they need to accompany him back to the himalayas uh to find his family because he's a yeti and he got captured by that like entrepreneur adventurer guy the, the burnish yeah, corporation the burnish. Mm-hmm. hannah i thought that you would kind of not that the theme was like animal cruelty or anything like that but i kind of thought that like the theme you know like treating animals like well and with respect and not like taking them from their homes i thought that that would click well with you just because you're such a animal lover and she's a vegetarian and stuff so i did like that underarching theme as well um but they kind of tied into it like you know getting these animals back to where they belong and where they're happy with their families yeah i thought it was cool that they kind of were teaching the lesson to like respect nature and stuff like that like i thought that was really interesting because going into it i didn't really think that was part of the theme at all and I mean, i'm not sure if it's like the real theme i just like felt like it was like an it was like a nod it was like a very suggested nod yeah i think that was cool Mm -hmm. um yeah the yeti escapes the lab at the beginning kind of a a a fairly conventional opening to an adventure movie with like a a mysterious creature you know something like you know et or i don't know how many others uh like you know there's creature being experimented on you know, planet of the apes to something similar Ugh. um <laughs> or you know the the remakes that are set in you know current day but um this movie it, you know kind of some fun hijinks ensue you know with the yeti escaping you kind of it, there's a, a bit of a complex character who is the scientist who's overseeing the experiments on everest and um, you think maybe she's just sort of um, uh, you know, being paid by this evil corporation to be sort of the voice of reason within their operation. Uh, that gets turned on its head later on in the movie. Uh, spoiler alert, by the way, uh, we'll be going into full spoilers for Abominable. Um, 
yeah i i don't know i i like the the professor the uh, scientist character dr zara and then we're introduced to the c or you know the yeah i think he's like the ceo of this corporation the burnish corporation mr burnish played by eddie izzard um dr zara played by uh sarah paulson um yeah i I was like, I guffawed when I saw that the villain character or this, you know, antagonist, Dr. Zara, had her own little animal sidekick. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's so, uh, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I would say that's so Disney, but um, this is DreamWorks. So it's very animation. Yeah, I liked that too. I I thought the 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 villains. I'm just gonna call them like the villains. Is that fine? Yeah, guys. I thought they were like pretty well fleshed out characters, um, for for this type of movie. Like I thought they did a good job, sort of making them. I mean, no one was too well grounded. It's a pretty short movie, Mm -hmm. but like I felt like there was enough little backstory and enough little like things with each character, including the the kids, um, to make everyone everyone's like moments on screen like worth paying attention to like I didn't feel like any of them were there for no reason do you know what I mean like sometimes you watch a movie and you're like wait why did they decide to even have this person be part of it and I know this is like off topic but I can I'm really happy I was getting a little nervous that they were gonna try to put like a like a another subplot of Yi and um Jin Jin like I thought they were gonna try to put some like love element on it and I really liked that they kept them just like really good friends honestly yeah. throughout the whole thing I thought they were going to try to do a little how to train your dragon with us like Astrid and um I was uh, assuming at the beginning like it, it would not have even you know been a surprise if that had been an element because yeah Yi is introduced as this tomboy she's you know very unkempt uh, and then Jin's this popular kid from school and Mm-hmm. you know maybe he would learn you know i i don't know it would have like, been easy for them to try yeah. to force that into it i think like more mm-hmm. of that and I, i'm i'm happy that they didn't i think it would have just like made the muddier plot overall like i like that they kind of kept that stuff a little know. bit out of it it would have been okay to add some chemistry i feel because just Thanks. just to feel something you know i i didn't get a lot from these characters unfortunately um especially Jin and Peng. um I, I like Pang. Um, what was his purpose in the movie? I mean, he was kind of uh, the heart. Of he the was group. a little bit of like comic relief, kind mm-hmm. of like a stock character. I do think that Yi being not like your typical teen was really cool. Like playing mm-hmm. the violin was like cool to her and like um, like saving money. Like that's something that I think is really important for kids to learn. Like just as a character she's not like on her phone and then you see like the opposite in Jin where he is like on his phone and obsessed with that technology that kids are obsessed with these days and I think it's really interesting how responsible she is Mm -hmm. just as a character and how you kind of see those worlds as the same also that kind of keeps the animation and the magic it bounced it out a little bit with reality so you're not just seeing like a yeti with magical powers you're seeing like the kid with a cell phone, which for like little kids these days, honestly, makes it a little more believable. Mm-hmm. 
you were saying about Ping and like the comic relief, am I the only one who felt like throughout the movie the comic relief was a little forced and a little dumb? Yeah, like the blueberries in your butt aren't necessary, honey. Yeah, I was just sort of like, and the like little burp one, I don't know, like I was like trying to enjoy it, like I know because it's like a kid movie, so like some of these like the snake sound and stuff, like it's funny, but I wasn't laughing, like it, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't working for me. <laughs> It wasn't necessary, and honestly, I think the kids in the theater were kind of, like, it was a little over their heads some of the time. Like, they laughed at the blueberries in the butt, but they didn't laugh at all the things, and, like, the adults were all like, huh. I was laughing because it was so dumb. Like, I wasn't laughing because it was funny. I was like, <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't really bringing the jokes, uh, at least for me, you know, it, nothing not a lot of chuckles elicited uh, other than there was the the one gag when he's about to steal the motorcycle which i think i'd seen in a trailer but um that still got a laugh out of me there's a, a music plays a role there's no song uh no like singing it's not a musical um it could have been uh but we get a lot from ye i i don't ever really feel that um, I mean, her relationship with her father is a central component to this. And there was a similar thing with a movie I recently saw called Ad Astra. And, you know, that's like a case where a father is, you know, kind of derelict or estranged from his son. And then this one, you know, the father's deceased. And I feel I understand how that could be very um a big source of pathos for oh. people <laughs> very yeah. relatable um but yeah it just it didn't hit me quite as much uh, but i liked how the father it could be because we're all so lucky and like don't have lost a parent yet you know what i mean like maybe it's mm -hmm. something that would have clicked more had we like gone through that grief part you know and i thought that the lesson was good with it though for anyone and everyone who's lost anyone about the importance of like living like continue to live and chase your own dreams yeah and, and the father character lived on through Yi and through uh everest as well mm -hmm. uh, which was kind of some some nice uh, spiritual themes uh very it's a very spiritual movie in general um with the everest healing. yeah yeah mm -hmm. i think so too like with the music when it plays and you kind of he fixes the violin Everest fixes the violin and mm -hmm. and throughout the movie there's like scenes with music or whatever but I feel like that that music is supposed to heal was like an underlying yeah message I think even even like the underscoring of the movie not even like all of the I am all of like the sounds even seemed really well thought out like they seemed intentional it didn't just seem like oh we need to fill this 16 seconds of silence in the movie it was like intentional sound for an intentional purpose with a theme throughout the film yeah i'd agree mm -hmm. a good sound design um i know the the trailer featured prominently the fleetwood mac fleetwood mac song uh, uh you can go your own way that wasn't in the actual film uh, i think most prominently we heard cold plays fix you a song from yeah. 2005 um, but that's that's a jam like that's a forever song doesn't matter when it came out i loved i loved hearing that in the trailer yeah yeah that's a classic um, 
It is kind of. Do you not like Coldplay or what? I'm more of a Fleetwood Mac girl, but yeah, sure. Both. I guess, yeah, that song kind of got to be the catharsis of, you know, the healing that takes place for Yi. Um, kind of, I guess, how that, that song was written as well. It was intended to be kind of an anthem of, well, uh, <laughs> it's right in the title, Fix You, you know, re- repairing, recovering. What I got most out of this was a lot of the conceptual imagery with um, mm-hmm. you know the being um intimate with nature um kind of and I, I like Jin's uh arc of getting out of his own little world and becoming a little tougher going venturing out on his own and embracing adventure i don't know there's uh, there's not a ton that I have to say about this movie other than that. Yeah, I was going to say I'm kind of like like <laughs> running through my head. What else I want to say? Like there were touching moments. There were heartwarming moments. And I mean, I'm echoing my own self. It was beautiful and, and it was fine. Like it was it was mm-hmm. it was worth seeing if you have nothing to do. But I it's equally probably fine to rent from Redbox. It's not like a blockbuster like type thing. I think the um the th- like the last part of the movie like I don't know like the third act you might say was much more it almost seemed like they worked the hardest on that part what are you talking about when he's back home or like when they're going like that was like the most magical is like when everything starts coming to fruition so like when the plot is kind of fallen and everything's like happily ever after it seemed like they cared the most about that part I really liked if I had to like pick a part of it. I really liked like the the journey scenes, I guess. Like the different like would you call them worlds or like environments that they visit along the way? I, I thought that was like kind of my favorite portion mm-hmm. of it. But the ending was good too. Like it was all good. There's nothing I hated. The dandelion sequence kind of cool. The, the trippy. Yeah. Um that was kind of like the dream like, mm-hmm. you know, when his magic was being um used sort of like a dream like yeah well in cryptozoology where you know you read about things like gettys and sasquatch and loch ness monster uh, you know the reason why these creatures are so elusive is they're able well actually i guess in most strains of cryptozoology they are like flesh and blood creatures who are just very good at hiding but there's also theories that they are capable of and, you know, accessing an alternate dimension, which is why, you, you, you know, if you go and search for them, they can stay hidden so well. There's really no residual signs of their existence uh, apart from just brief glimpses when they decide to venture into our reality. Uh, <laughs> and he seems to be capable of this exact thing. Like they, he can manipulate the reality around him. Yeah, he can make big blueberries. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it seems pretty much that's what we learned. Yeah, it seems to affect the real world in a significant way. I mean, well, how much collateral damage are these blueberries causing, or this yeah. giant wave in the landscape? <laughs> you know, is he taking out, you know, electrical wires? I, you know, these are the follow up questions we'll be asking in the sequel. <laughs> I don't think they'll do a sequel with this one. No, this is definitely. And if they do, it will come out in 2035. 
I guess we could follow Yi around with her magic uh, violin. It'd be interesting. She's like doomed to wander the world as like this vagrant violinist <laughs> going from place. She's a grifter everywhere she goes because she's been so transformed, transformed spiritually by this experience that she has no need for like material possessions. So. Yeah, she won't be working <laughs> in a cubicle. No. Or what was she doing before, like dog sitting or babysitting when she was like hustling around to make money at the beginning? She was really hustling. I mean, she doused herself with fish guts and like, Ugh. I guess, decided to wear the same shirt to bed. And the next time, <laughs> must have wa hand washed it. It does the cartoon She's thing. She's a hard worker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they should have given the characters alternate outfits, I feel. I mean, the... Basketball what do you mean? Jersey. Penny Proud wore the same outfit for like five years. Well, they do it in TV to save money, but this is a feature film. Yeah, $75 million film, like change the color of the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't bug me that much, though. I mean, in cartoons like Hey Arnold, things like that, like you kind of get used to seeing it. But you're right. That would be a pretty stinky shirt. Mm -hmm. Stinky, stinky. Also, like, why blueberries? They could have. I set don't that know. Up. Mm -hmm. And that was in the trailer. I because I know they did something with the blueberries in a trailer. Like, don't double check me, but I know that they did. Um, and and it's a funny gag too. Well, it was a funny gag with you know he's got the blueberries in the shape of his ass, you know, sticking out of his pants. Yeah. But like, how the heck did blueberries get inside the seam of his pants? <laughs> like, or in, inside his waistband, unless like they protruded from there originally. It just, it makes I no mean, sense. I guess that's where we just graduate into saying, ah, it's a kid's movie. Yeah. yeah, but it took eight years for them to make this kid's movie. So maybe they have some answers for us if we could get a hold of, uh, who was the director again, Philip? Uh, Jill, Jill Colton. And yeah. I, I think she had very good intentions with this movie. She left the project actually uh, in 2016, but then came back to finish it. Um, so, what'd she leave for? I mean, probably had disagreements with some of the other staff at DreamWorks, and uh, you know, maybe oh. decided to move on to a, a different. Let's project. do a podcast about the DreamWorks drama. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I actually am happy that we talked a little bit about the director because it's always a big win when you get a female directed movie. I know that that sounds stupid and it's like 2019. So like it's getting to be more and more common, but it's it's good to hear about them. And like, I would be interested to know why she did leave, you know, for that bit of time. It's it's is it common, Philip, for people to, you know, a little more about that behind the scenes stuff? Is it common for people to leave a project and return again? Well, returning again is not very common <laughs> that's very true it is common for uh creative um leader well yeah creative differences is is the reason often cited when you know a uh, creative talent leaves a project um but yeah I'm, so i'm assuming there were creative differences involved at some point in this film's production um, but then they were reconciled ultimately uh, they, I, I liked um, the the koi fish was a good theme in the in the film. They, they're, I guess, the most resilient creature on the planet. Yeah, making their way up to uh, their mating territory. Is it true? I, I don't. Well, in China, at least, that was the the proverb. Um, they, they're a symbol for uh, perseverance in China. You know who's going to persevere the most? That grandma. 
Nene, Nine. <laughs> she was one of my favorite characters. She's not in it all that much, but I liked her a lot. Oh, the moment when she appears from behind the stack of <laughs> yeah. pork uh, dumplings. That was funny. Those are so yummy. I was watching that part and I was I was like, my drool was dripping out of my mouth. And <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, on that note, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, this uh, I have to introduce something I call the pretzel test when I go see a movie because I usually get pre pretzel bites at the AMC theaters where I go see movies um, instead of popcorn. Um, and sometimes they make me like too bloated and full to be able to stay awake during the movie. <laughs> oh, it's... you get tired out and then you want to back out of watching it. Yeah, they, it, it's sort of uh, sedative. And um, yeah, I fell asleep at a recent movie. Oh, it was an animated movie from China uh, called Neja. Oh, I never um, saw that one. Really interesting. It was subtitled in Chinese. It's a large scale animated film, um, but produced entirely in China. Uh, it'll probably get like an English dub at some point. It was really good. It was That I enjoyed way more than abominable uh, despite uh like dozing off at one point i was just it, i saw it really late i saw it really it was like a 10 p.m show and i had pretzels and um, i did not have pretzels for abominable so it yeah, didn't I, deserve them <laughs> and yeah when i see a movie for a podcast um you know i, sh I should probably do what i can yeah <laughs> to be the most alert um i, I do want to see nature again because it had a lot of cool themes yeah, having to do with uh, Eastern spirituality. And it was like a myth. It was like an ancient scripture about like two competing siblings uh, who are born from this, you know, sort of yin and yang uh, mystical force. Um, you know, one is sort of the, the more demonic side and then one's the more, you know, uh, benevolent angelic side, you know, really, really cool. Um, there were I, I want to check it out then because I, I, this movie kind of got me wanting to go back to movies again because I feel like you know we kind of took a hiatus over the summer and it's nice to try, just get back into the swing of seeing these different films that are coming out. Um, mm -hmm. Although I don't need to go to Abominable again, that's my review. That's that's going to be my follow up thing. Like, once was enough, Abominable. Yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. Was, was there a post credit scene? There was an image. Of, I didn't stay till uh, the end of the credits, so you tell me. Yeah, was it was. There? It was just the family visiting the Lishan Buddha statue. Oh, and, actually, yeah, I I read about that. That there was that was like the follow up, the little follow up uh, scene. Yeah, um, which is cute. That means they all got to go experience it together, and like the father would be very proud of that. I think. Mm -hmm. yeah it kind of gives some closure to that part of the story mm -hmm. yeah um the villain kind of gets a you know it's a very generic disney death at the end you know, <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> the twist with uh dr zara and what did you the... think of the twist did it did it surprise you guys it kind of <laughs> surprised me but not that much <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it it felt odd this character she why would you have an animal sidekick in the first place if you don't even mean it <laughs> yeah if it's, it's just a front like 
It was like a little Disney try hard. I mean, just that notion that that you would, as part of your disguise, like yeah, I, it was weird. wear wear an animal sidekick on your shoulder, so you seem more Disney, lovable? more friend, yeah, more lovable. Yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of works. I see, I could see a serial killer like walking down the road. And if he had a little puppy, I'd be like, hey, man, can I come over to your house and play with your dog? Like, I don't know. It would pro- I mean, it kind of works. <laughs> yeah. No, that the Jerboa was really cute. The, the little rodent creature. Jerboa. Um, and, then, and then he gets adopted by uh, Pang, or uh, I guess uh, Burnish inherits the. The Jerboa. Anyways, I, and yeah, like the foreshadowing, or they didn't, you know, set up that there was a rope that Yi could grab as she went off over the bridge. It was just like, oh, she survived because there was a random rope here. Well, it's a rope bridge, so I guess that. that Literally, it was missing link. <laughs> well, the survival situations in Missing Link were far more outlandish than this. I, I'll give it that. Um, in Missing Link, they just paid no regard for the laws of physics at all. No, the ball <laughs> tips over and then it tips right back up again. Missing Link. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, they're like lassoing these, you know, stalagmite icicles, and yeah, and this one, there was the moment where she like jumps on the barge, and I thought like she she just barely made it, so I was thinking like, oh, there's no way for Jin and Pang to make follow it on this part. Yeah. How are they gonna get? Yeah. How are they gonna follow Yi on her journey? Mm-hmm. Oh, they just jump right on. Well, they make because- it. <laughs> no problem. I I mean, that seemed like a major lapse in logic. Because um, yeah, the, the barge was well out of range by the time they caught up with Yi. And they had like a little conversation. Um. Anyways. People listening to this review today are probably like, wow, they're really like, like harping on the it's negatives like, <laughs> of this one. Like, I feel like we just need to remind people it's not a bad, bad movie. They, but like, it's it, not. Yeah, they, they ransacked the soda crate on the barge and no <laughs> one's like, hey, what's with all the, who broke into these crates? Why is there, you know, soda cans? Okay, this is so random, but did this movie remind either of you of the movie I don't know if you saw it called The Crudes, which was like an animated movie. I don't know if it was just like the teeth of Everest, but like it was very much not the same plot, but like the same vibe. That was also DreamWorks. Yeah. Oh, it was. Mm -hmm. I never saw Crudes. And I I honestly like I think so many DreamWorks movies like slip by without me noticing because. Yeah, like I I don't even know that they come out. Yeah, I don't feel like they really over-advertise this one. And Philip, you might be right. Like, maybe this is something that they pushed more, like, worldwide. And, like, it's getting more of a response. But we're around little kids all the time. And I never heard anyone even mention this one. Um, the Croods is getting a sequel. Uh, so oh, well, it must have been good. did pretty well. <laughs> uh, Emma Stone plays the lead protagonist in, in that film. But The Croods was, like, a long time ago. That was, like... A long time ago. Wasn't that like five or six years ago? Okay, 2013. Um, sure. Yeah, six years. Uh, but I guess Frozen is now getting a sequel after six years. And uh, yeah, it just takes a longer. It's a longer production cycle on animated films. I wonder which movie Philip's going to like better, Frozen 2 or The Croods 2? 
we'll wait and see. <laughs> That's our big mystery. Like we're gonna do a poll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll do a poll. When Crudes comes out, then we'll say bye, Elsa, and Philip will have a new love. Well, big tease for the Crudes too when we finally review that. Uh, <laughs> am I, now, yeah. Is is Emma Stone's Eep going to steal my heart from Elsa? And I don't even want to get us started on those trailers. They're pumping me up in comparison to the these trailers of Abominable. Literally, I would rather watch the Frozen 2 trailer for the same amount of time that I watched. No, this. no, no. <laughs> That's too harsh. Like, I, it was cute. It just the plot. It was Whose powers cool. are cooler? Whose powers are Everest? Well, they both have like a little healing. Like, I don't know. Well, I guess Elsa doesn't really have healing power. But I, I got to admit, yeah, Everest powers are really pretty cool. awesome. They're pretty They're sick. Way groovy. Like, now. I would make a giant thing of fruit and then I would like help him i would make a giant glass of water and send it to flint michigan <laughs> yeah they're so sweet yeah i guess if he has i mean they're they're in a whole different Maybe. realm than us so it's okay that they're not like you know intervening in our human affairs he was adorable um, i'd yeah. pick him over Elsa. he's so fluffy oh. mm-hmm. you're about to get kicked out he's of like He's like all head. <laughs> yeah, he really he really is all head, but it's it's the cutest that I ever saw. So it's it's all right. It honestly the only thing it was lacking was like a really really good plot. Cuz everything else like, I think was good. Got to say Dr. Zara kind of sexy. What? <laughs> Let me take the, a double the, the, the redhead. I don't know she she's got kind of buck teeth, but I don't know she's got good facial Nothing teeth. Nothing a good dentist can um, Around. Also, Yi, kind of sexy, despite her football head. Well, she's ten years old. She's like eighteen. Oh, okay. seventeen. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm. I was. How old is she? I honestly don't remember. Definitely a teenager. I don't know how old is she. I, I really can't remember. Maybe like seventeen. I think she's supposed to be like seventeen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eh, that's fine. But yeah, I mean, she, like she's definitely she does, old enough to have a job and like worry about budgeting. She does kind of have a Hey Arnold vibe though, with wearing <laughs> the same shirt every day. Yeah, well, and the football-shaped head. Does that mean that, like, Jin is Helga? No, because there's no that love thing isn't happening. Like, Yeah, honestly, I'm glad that the, like, the love affairs are over. I, I really liked the love undertones in How to Train Your Dragon, but I really didn't want it this time around. I'm not sure why I was so set against it, like, sitting down in the kids' movie, but I was like, eh, I hope they don't make these two fall in love. I have never seen How to Train Your Dragon. What? That yeah. one is so much better than this. Like, it's the same company, DreamWorks, right? Obviously, that's yeah. what we're talking about it. But so, so, so. I literally better. don't go to the movies unless it's for the Thodcast or unless it's like $5 Tuesday and I need to get my niece to be quiet. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Let's just check the production budget. That was $129 million. Oh, so like quite a lot more than this one. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this was cute as like a filler movie that like we didn't really like. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. What do you think of the short film Marooned uh, that played before this one? Here's the thing. I've never liked the short film. Like I liked it. Mm-hmm. But why did they do that? Like, why do they do short films? Because they do that with um, Pixar movies as well. Yeah. I mean, there's a very practical reason where they just have to build talent 
at the studio and these oh, short so films it's are just like a project for them mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. what did you think of this one like in comparison like i know that it's disney versus like dreamworks but like what did you oh think? it felt very pixar with the music right and the the yeah, robot and the, like, the robot is wally yeah basically and then he finds a little friend um so, I thought it was pretty cute and understandable. Sometimes those short films, like, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, there's a clear conflict at the end. You know, this robot is upset. And the robot is kind of harsh towards the new robot that he discovers, you know, during the uh, the short film. And, like, at the end, you know, you think he's, you know, a little bit leaning towards abandoning the the littler robot um but yeah makes the the heroic sacrifice which did he really need to make the sacrifice why couldn't he just board the ship and then use his like power core to power he he might not have survived that but at least his body would have been on the ship and it just didn't didn't make a ton of sense sense to me yeah I think like the whole stranded vibes were kind of like interesting, but I don't know. I think that it's, um, isn't it? I felt like there was something else that they showed us at the beginning of the film that it was like. Hmm. Um, maybe, yeah. How, how did it open? Um, was it? What was the opening shot of this film? Uh, there was a lot. There was the Everest billboard that was featured from the, yeah. the conveniently placed. Uh... Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> how do you feel about like he's pointing to an Everest billboard and she like can figure out all that is going on? I mean, I was just hearing Cinema Sins on YouTube tick off in the back of my mind. <laughs> conveniently placed billboard is convenient. Uh, yeah i think it's like it was a little corny Mm -hmm. but i think it was good honestly like here's the thing these kids movies i'm glad that they touched on things that matter to me like animals and the environment and those kind of things and as long as they're giving those subtle hints like i don't really care about the blueberry butt jokes or about the conveniently placed sign i think the animation was like pretty and it was like good it's not going to stand the test of time but it was like a good movie for some good clean 2019 fun yeah well it is important to remember this is a a movie for kids i feel yeah uh, even more so than a lot of like i mean dreamworks has always leaned more heavily towards the younger demographic and uh you know disney of course has so many fans who are adults uh, you know who were fans since childhood um and and I think they maybe do more to kind of service their adult fan base in their animation, um, but but I do think that um, Disney overall keeps it a little cleaner than DreamWorks. I think this was a little cleaner than usual DreamWorks. If you think of movies like Shrek or even Trolls, and a few a f- just a few other ones, I think that DreamWorks overall as like a brand, mm-hmm. to me, I would want to watch a dreamworks movie before my kids saw it if i had the choice to watch either a disney one or a dreamworks one to see if it was appropriate because i think sometimes they like cross that little bit of a line that's fair disney does too but they're more subtle i think 
that. Uh, Abominable, it has a 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it's, uh, so it's been well-reviewed, <laughs> but uh, probably more for the kids. More for the kids, indeed. <laughs> it's kind of a good final thought on that. Uh, any other final thoughts on Abominable? Uh, no, but I would like to reach out to DreamWorks and let them know they need to advertise their movies more because if they're going to spend $75 million on a film, they should put out a couple more ads in theaters because I didn't yeah. see any. There, there was only one theatrical trailer for this film. Uh, they will I, be changing I guess... their budget and adding more trailers for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that spend money to make money mentality. Should maybe play a little more into their game. No comment on their marketing strategy. I guess um, we there was a new animated movie out. We had to go see it to review it. I don't know. There, there's plenty of stuff that we kind of skip on this show too. I feel, but um, like we didn't it's see hard Angry when you Birds. Have an overarching opinion to kind of just not like let people know what your like opinion was. But I do think we touched on a lot of the positive um, elements and the, the lack and hopefully everybody listening to this had like a totally opposite experience viewing it like feel free to comment and then we'll know wrong yeah i i think this movie um ha it um has the potential depending on you know, the viewer to be very powerful right. um just personally for me it didn't resonate quite as heavily um the yeah i, I don't know i was gonna maybe mention something related to frozen i know it's like at the it's hard because they just dropped a ton of <laughs> recently so like i'm trying not to talk about it too philip shared a little musical teaser with me yeah and honestly i would have rather talked about that for an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes because i had full body chills breaking news <laughs> finally i finally heard adina menzel yeah singing on we went to week 23 and we didn't hear it but like we heard it today and we yeah. are Hyped. I cannot yeah. download that sheet music. We'll be singing it for our intro time. Ah. I don't know. They played an older trailer for Frozen 2 at Abominable. And um, I one thought I had, there's this moment where you see Queen Iduna looking out a window at the Aurora Borealis, which Aurora Borealis, by the way, is like, that's where these yetis live <laughs> in, in Abominable. They like become the Aurora Borealis, which was kind of a nice touch. Um, but like the, she, I think she it looked like she's singing based on the way her mouth is moving. Um, and I maybe mentioned that on a previous episode when we were talking about the second Frozen 2 trailer. Um, but they wouldn't get Evan Rachel Wood to play that role if they didn't give that character a song. So I'm curious to see that. Uh, Elsa's and on his parents, um, maybe they have a song together, or maybe it's just their mom who has a song. Um, but yeah, um, Frozen stuff. Um, I don't know if we'll do another full Frozen update on the podcast before the movie comes out. Um, but stay tuned. So we have six weeks. <laughs> yeah. Better catch us then because it's going to be a five hour edited episode. We're ready. Right around the corner. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see what how we decide to uh, yeah format the frozen review. 
Um, Cause yeah, I'm, I'm going to see that movie like 20 times, as I said. Yeah. I, I uh, think that pretty much concludes today's uh, festivities on the podcast conversations about animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke. And um, you can find the podcast online at thodcast.com on Twitter at thodcast on Instagram at thodcast and uh, listen to us on a variety of platforms such as Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, um, what else? SoundCloud. SoundCloud is where I usually listen. Google Play. I believe I added this to Google Play, but um, you know, maybe, maybe have to double check if it's actually up, up there yet. <laughs> um, let's see. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much, Jody and Hannah, for joining me. Uh, Jody, where can people find you? You can find me in Georgia, but if you're not in Georgia, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. It's Jody Pulaski. So J-O-D like dog, I Pulaski, P-O-L-A-S-K-Y. And you can always find me here on the podcast uh, where we're talking about animation with you. Hannah? And I'm on Instagram too, Hannah Lee Ever After. Lee is L-E-I-G-H and then Ever After like fairy tales. I'm so excited to be back on the Thodcast talking about some more chilly animation. <laughs> chilly down on the Thodcast. I'm Philip Elke and you can find me online at Philip Elke, Twitter and Instagram. And um, yeah, warm hugs for everyone. Thank you mm-hmm. for listening and uh, have a magical day and a wonderful week. Bye.